0: Good morning you know in, in preparing for this message today, I just really did enjoy thinking about the joy that you bring in my life and um, as many most of you know, I have a big family anyway, but um, I really, really tell people that you 're my family because we 've just been together for a long time, and if you have not known you for a long time, um, I, I love being a part of this of this church family and um, We've been in a series together, and by the way, if you're if you're joining us on uh, uh, our videos, um, thank you for joining with us uh, online. And um, if you're a guest here, thank you for being uh, here with us today. I'm, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and uh, we've been in a series together in First Peter called "Not Home Yet, Not Home Yet," and the theme here is about how how do I live in this world. And last week in particular, uh, uh, Rick, Rick Myers, who did a great job, by the way, he did a great job, um, he talked to us about suffering and suffering well. And so actually this message kind of picks up from that aspect of suffering and it begins to speak to us in light of the suffering and so this week is is actually directed towards the pastors even though it's talking to the pastors I think there's things that we will all benefit from so uh, don't tune it out if you're if you're not a pastor Um, this is actually written for all of us and for our understanding so I want to read our text first before I before I pray so first Peter chapter 5 and we're in verses 1 through 4 say this so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And our big idea that we're going to be looking at today is this. It says, despite suffering, pastors are called to faithfully care for God's flock. So let's pray together. Lord, we don't want to just hear a message or, or just kind of learn about First uh, Peter. We, we really need to learn what it means of this not being our home at this time. And There are coming a future day when you're going to remake this earth, and it will be our home. But we're not there yet. And this place that we live in, we're actually, it's a mission field for us. It's a place that's filled with difficulties and uh, sufferings and opposition and disappointments and brokenness and sin and fear. And so Lord, we want to hear your word as to how we should live. And in suffering, we want to learn how to live in a way that brings you glory. So Lord, I pray not only for the pastors today, uh, the uh, uh, pastors of your church, as, as we're addressed primarily in this text, but I, I pray for all of us, Lord, that our hearts and minds would be stirred. I pray that we would learn. I pray that we would grow. I pray that we would be transformed. And I pray that we would be a different people as we live in this time and in this place. And I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly and faithfully to your truth. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna tell you about uh, a pastor who's currently suffering, if we could have this picture. Um, This is Pastor Wang. Pastor Wang is in China, and he was sentenced um, by the Communist Party because of his church and because of his faith. It says China sentenced a prominent pastor who operated outside the Communist Party-run churches to nine years in prison. The People's Intermediate Court in the western city of Chengdu said that Pastor Wang Yi had also was convicted of illegal business operations and he was fined and his personal assets were seized. Everything that he had was taken away. That was in 2018. Wang had led the early reign covenant church, and in 2018 he was arrested with, along with dozens of other pastors and church leaders and a 100 members of his own church, part of a crackdown on the unauthorized religious groups in the country. The government requires that Protestants worship only in churches organized and recognized and regulated by the party-led, three-self patriotic movement. Wang's congregation, one of the most prominent unregistered churches in the country, was shut down during a series of governmental raids on church gatherings. The church released a statement from the pastor after his arrest. He said, "I firmly believe that Christ has called me to carry out this faithful disobedience through a life of service under His regime, under this regime that opposes the gospel and persecutes the church." He wrote, "This is the means by which I preach the gospel, and it is the mystery of the gospel which I preach." I did some investigation just to find out what has happened since then. So, in 2000. Uh, Three years after that, 2021, at the end of 2021, it said this, that his wife visited him this for the first time in three years since he had been imprisoned. He's been in, in closed confinement, meaning he has two he has a cell with these only two very hardened criminals that he is with and with no one else. And his meals are moldy rice, is what he, he eats. His wife has been under 24-hour surveillance in her home, and there's a 360-degree camera that can see everything in the home. Her, his parents have been harassed along with his son, and the church members also have been threatened, and one of them beaten pretty severely. Last week, we were reading 1 Peter Chapter four, verses 16 and 17, next slide. And Rick was reading this text to us and I'm gonna pick up there, it says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of god last week we saw that this judgment that starts in suffering is actually starts with the church god's intention is a church and obviously if we were doing something wrong god would bring a, a discipline and judgment on us but also god is using difficult times and suffering to actually purify his church and to purify and to and to prune his church so that we would be more fruitful. Many commentators think that Peter was thinking about Ecclesi- excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 6, the prophet Ezekiel, when he was actually penning this letter because when it says here that judgment needs to start with the household of God that we just read, in Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 6 it says speaking of God's judgment that was coming on Jerusalem, He says this, and begin in my sanctuary, so they began with the elders who were before the house. So as God is bringing a discipline, a pruning, a purifying in our world, he starts with the church. And with Ezekiel's example, he says, I'm going to start off with the the pastors. I'm going to start off with the elders because I want to purify my church. So we come, since judgment begins with the household of God, we come to our text today. And number one, our first point is elders are judged first. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, So, or in light of the fact that judgment begins with the household of God, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So we're starting off with the elders. Now who the elders are, we don't use that term a lot. Um, Actually, you see three different terms here, um, and you see this in Acts 20 as well, where these are three different terms that are speaking about the same person, uh, speaking about the leaders of the church. And so elders are, are used here. And elder, the term elder really speaks to the, uh, the pastor's maturity. He's elder. He's older, you know, spiritually in the church. Secondly, it says here, it goes on. Well, actually, he says here that he's a fellow elder, which we'll talk about. But this is Peter talking. He was also an elder in his church. But it goes on. It says, shepherd the flock of God. And this is the term that we use to get the word pastor. We think of pastor. So in our church, that's typically what we're called. uh, If we're called a title at all, which is fine. Just call me Greg, it's fine. But pastor, it comes from this idea of shepherding. And shepherding has to do with the work that the the elder has. Um, They're to teach. They're to feed. They're to protect. They're to care for. And that was the work of a shepherd. And then it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you by exercising oversight. And this is the term that we have for overseer. And this is another term for the same, for the same person. Only this speaks to the responsibility. So as an overseer, you know, he would have a responsibility to look out and watch over the flock and make sure that they're in the right place at the right time and they're safe. And if there's dangers or things that need to be done. He has this scope of responsibility that he's looking over the flock. So we have elder, we have pastor or shepherd, and we have overseer. As to who these people are, uh, I want to talk about qualifications. In First Peter 3, we kind of get the, the best one of the best pictures or snapshots of the qualification of what an elder should be. It says in 1st Peter, excuse me, 1st Timothy chapter 3, it says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it starts off here saying that if, if this is your, your aspiration, this is something, a, a task that God has put on your heart, like I really think I'm supposed to be a, do this, you know, that's, that's what we would typically talk about being called to ministry. You have this sense that this is what I need to do. This is what God wants me to do. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, and I want you to watch and see how much of these qualifications are more about his life, his character, the way that he has lived out his, his, his Christian ministry and life, and with an aspect that relates to his training and his education. But I want you to just see how much of this is about the person that God would place over his flock. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And that's where our teaching aspect comes. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So these are the people that are the qualifications of those who lead in the church. So let's go back to our text. The elders are judged first. So he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Let's stop there. You know, it's interesting to me that that this is how this is the humble way, really, that, that Peter is in, is going to, about to address these elders. This is the way that he's going to talk with them. He says, "Look, I'm in this with you." You know, if, if judgment is starting with the household of God, you know, and and we're going to start off with the elders, he says, "I'm in with you guys. I'm a fellow elder." He could have he could have used he could have said, "I'm an apostle," you know. But he he just kind of came alongside these guys and he said, I'm a fellow elder with you. He said, and I'm a, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And notice that he picked that as his qualification. He said, I'm not only a fellow elder with you, I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ. You know, he, he could have said, hey, I got to witness the resurrection. I saw the risen Christ. He didn't start with that. He didn't even mention that. He didn't say, hey, I was one of the few people who got to see the transfiguration. I mean, I saw Jesus in his transformed body, you know, along with Elijah and, and Moses. And, uh, and, and, and it was amazing. And, and nobody, only a couple of us have ever really seen this before. Uh, and so... He could have used that for his credentials. But what did he pick? He said, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, including his sufferings at Gethsemane and his betrayal and his rejection and Calvary. Now that night of that arrest is especially painful to Peter. Because that was the day, you know, that he had just said, look, I will die for you. I will never, I will never disown you. I'll never do that. I'll die for you. And within hours, he had denied him, as the Lord said he would, three times. Peter Peter remembered how his bravery failed. How he had denied Jesus. Even before servant girls. But Peter had learned of the mercy and grace of God even toward him. He had experienced a forgiveness that humbled him, that took him from being filled with shame and brought humility as a result. And so when Peter's going to address his fellow elders here, He's not going to use use his best credentials, not going to use his most impressive things, because he knows, as I know, that elders should not be put up on a pedestal because we are well aware of our shortcomings. We are well aware uh, of our need for the grace of God. And so he says, look, I'm a fellow elder with you guys. And, I, and I, I remember my own weakness. And I remember the failings of my own, of my own time there with Jesus. He had seen his grievous de- denial turn into his restoration. And so Peter here is encouraging the shepherds from a humble state versus an arrogant, hypocritical, You know showiness—that maybe a temptation for some leaders. Even today, restoration is possible for you. And when you think about serving God, maybe there's just nagging sense in the back of your mind: you've blown it too many times. You've done too many horrendous things. You've even denied the Lord. you chickened out in the opportunities that you have. You did, not, you did not, you were not a good Christian. You were not a good leader. You were not a good father. You were not a good wife. Whatever goes into your mind where you, you're thinking that you know, God won't and cannot use me, you know God chose Peter, which I love, to be the one to give this message to us pastors. I know. From my own experience, that we all fall short. There is grace, there is an abundant grace available to us as believers. And so, as the Lord is bringing a judgment, even on His church, and we're talking about the pastors first. We lay a a foundation once again of our need for a savior, of our need for grace, of our need for his mercies. But elders are judged first, but also elders are held accountable. So we we don't nullify the fact that God calls us to a high standard. Elders are accountable. We read here, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You see here, this is as God would have you. God would have you not stay the way you were. God would have you grow up, mature, walk in his ways. And he starts off with this first one. He says, the first one is, I don't want you to serve me, pastors, under compulsion, but willingly. I don't want this to be your job. I don't want you to do this just for duty because this is what I have to do. He said, I want you to do this willingly. That's how I would have you do this. Now think about this, you know, serving under compulsion. Again, these, these churches, as we just even learned today, this still happens, are under threat from the government. We learned last week about how Rome was setting up an opportunity to bring real persecution on the church. And usually the pastors out front in those situations. When the police come, when the officers come, normally if they're going to take anybody, they're going to take the pastors. Normally if they're going to make an example out of someone, it's probably those leaders first. Because that's what happens. You strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. They lose heart. And so is saying, look, I don't want you to do this under compulsion. I don't want you to do this just because you have to. I want you to do this willingly. And I think about, know, again, in countries that I have served in, you know, conversion is illegal. Baptisms are illegal. People lose their lives. People lose their homes. People uh, are imprisoned. All these things happen because we're suffering for the name in many parts of the world. But he says, I don't want you to do this under compulsion. You know, it's so true if you watch the scriptures, you know, how how so often when when God asks us to do something, he really is not glorified when we just do things because we have to do it when so much of our Christian life is is just kind of under habit or under compulsion or because we know it's just the right thing to do kind of thing, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we reflect his heart and it's by his spirit that we really want to do these things. We're really eager to do these things. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He's all, he always, he'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and other people, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it's idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own loves, tastes, habits, etc., can do the journey on their own. We, I'm glad that he, he acknowledged that sometimes we do do things under duty. Sometimes we do need a crutch. And we're not perfect. But let's not, set our, let's not set our eyes and our standards and our heart on being content that we're serving just because this is what we have to do. As we continue, First Peter chapter 5. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Let's take this second one here. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. He said, I don't want you to do it whether it's for shameful gain or even just for money, I don't want you to just, this isn't like for money that you're serving the church. He said, uh, you know, greed is not to be part of your motivation in in doing this service to the flock of God. We talked about don't do it out of duty, don't do it out of greed. Now, a wage was granted uh, in several places, but 1 Corinthians 9.14 says a workman is worthy of his wage. And so there's nothing wrong with paying a pastor. But if the pastor is there in order to gain wealth or just get rich or he's just greedy, and in some circles that, may, that does happen, he said, I don't want you serving that way. And then he says, not for shameful gain, but, but eagerly. Again, he, he would want them to do this um, with heart, you know, to really care for people. And it goes on. It says there, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering. That means when you, when you care for my flock, when you care for my sheep, when you care for my lambs, I don't want you to be harsh. I don't want you to make threats. I don't want you to use intimidation and force. I don't want there to be excessive use of your authority. I don't want to be selfishly motivated. Your leadership is for your good and for your satisfaction or for your agenda. He says, I don't want that. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And it says here that these people are in, in their charge. You see, they will be held accountable before God to some degree for how the flock does. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a measure of responsibility for your lives that, the, that the, the pastors of your church will feel for you and will be held accountable before God. But it says, pastors, be examples to the flock. Elders are to be humble. They're to be examples. No one is more involved with the work of the church than the shepherd, the shepherds should be. It says, the shepherds who are among you, they should they should be among the flock. They should know the flock. They should care about the flock. the The, the flock should be known to them. And the word overseers here is the word that can, can be translated guardians. The, the, God has put some guardians in the church to protect and to watch over. You think about guardians in in a context of family. The guardians of your kids, you know, guardians of your household, people who who really have a heart interest in the well-being of the family. Their lives should speak more powerfully than their eloquence. Pastors should not be primarily known for their eloquence, how impressive they are. And some of us never will be. (laughs) But it's our lives. It's the pastor's lives that should be the primary, weightiest encouragement and example equipping and and caring for the flock. They need to have bold resistance to evil, they need to be protecting, they need to lay their lives down for the flock. In trials and suffering, though, shepherds are even more important, you know, when things get really bad. When things get really bad, the shepherds need to be there. They need to, be, they need to stand up, and they need to protect, and they need to be on the front. I think about all those movies, you know, you have the big armies coming. And I always think, wow, these kings, they're like on the front line, and they're just running up, in, like in Lord of the Rings. You know, they're just running up against these massive Crowds. I'm thinking they're on the front line and they're running into this, into this battle as opposed to some other movies when you see like the kings kind of way up outside, kind of sitting on the mountainside and they're kind of watching from up there. The, the pastors, the elders need to be on the front. They need to protect. They need to lead the way. And in suffering and trials they gain more importance, as contrasted to, we'll see here in a moment, the hireling, who as soon as it gets bad, or as soon as it looks like it's going to cost him something, they're gone. The love of Christ opens their heart to share in your joys and your griefs. Now, you've heard it said concerning authority that absolute, authority, power, excuse me, absolute power corrupts absolutely, you know? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And unfortunately, we've seen that in politics. We've seen that in business. And unfortunately, we've seen that in churches. That should not be so. That should not be so. Pastors should use their authority and their responsibility to build up and to care for the flock. Consider the chief shepherd here. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to take and to receive and to be, and to be served. He came to give. He came to lay his life down. He came to care to the, to the uttermost for his people. Speaking of himself as a good shepherd in John 10, he says this, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. That's what our shepherd is. That's, wh- that's what he's like. So the charge we've seen earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and earlier in, in our teachings, it says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so judgment starts first with, with us pastors. You know We're to walk in his steps. We're to lay down our lives. First John chapter 2, verse six says, "Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked." So consider again. Peter's restoration and his calling. This is shortly after the resurrection. Uh, Peter was out, excuse me, John was out. um, And the disciples were out, and Peter was out fishing. And it says in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, "Feed my sheep." You know, to love Jesus is to care for his people, to love his people, and especially this calling to elders. You know, this is what God would have us to feed them, tend to them, protect them, nurture them, care for them. So the elders are judged first, And the elders are accountable. And lastly, faithful elders are honored. It says in verses 1 and 4, it says this. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. And verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, pastors are not to be motivated by duty or by greed or by power, but by reward. By reward. There's a promise here that there's a reward. There's a a crown if the if the elders serve him faithfully. And, you know, in Revelation uh, chapter four, it talks about these elders and how they've got crowns on. I don't know how long into eternity this will be. I don't think it's very long into it because I can't, I can't even imagine wearing a crown in front of the Lord very long. But all these elders, it says, are going to take, t- these 24 elders, it says here, they're going to take these crowns and they're going to cast them at his feet. Because we know The only way that we can be faithful, the only way that we can love the flock the way he loves the flock, it's it's because of him. We love because he first loved us. But he will honor us. And we will give the glory back to him. To pastors, our final suffering, that whatever it is between now and the grave or now and his return, final suffering here will lead to final glory, will be glorious. For us and when he appears faithful elders will be honored even Peter who denied Jesus will receive and receive full restoration he's anticipating being a partaker in the glory yet to be revealed and to receive the unfading crown of glory that's what that's what those of us who serve hope for that's what we look to That's why we're serving. So the big idea is, despite suffering, pastors are called to faithfully care for God's flock. Can I have the worship team come? So how do do we apply this? You know, how do we apply this? You think, Greg, I'm not a pastor. We'll get to that. But in this context, you know, we're talking about God's, purifying judgment. God's purifying pruning. And we started with pastors. But application number one, if judgment begins with the house of God, in what way does God seem to be prompting you or us as church to grow and change? And how about you personally? Like, how does God want to Judge. How is God judging us as a congregation? You know, we get lots of good teaching. We have a lot of times the standard and example of what Christ would do and how he lives and how he would act. How would God, how would God evaluate us as a church family? And we can bring that down to you personally. Is there something that in your mind you think, you know, God has convicted me that we as a church should be more like this: more gracious, more forgiving, uh, more upbuilding, building other people up. More loving of people who don't think the way we think. We talked a few weeks ago about how, how are we thought about about what we're against, or, or are we thought about the way we live in a way that's, that really attracts people as well? So, you know, as God has a purifying gaze at us, what is he convicting us of? What what does he want to change? And what, for you personally, what do you think it is that God would put his light on? And secondly, and let me say this before I go second. I, I got second up there, but let me say this. You know, it said there in that section that, you know, God's going to start off with his own church. But it said, but, you know, basically, and how bad is it going to be for those who don't even know God? You know, God, God, God disciplines his own. He loves his own enough to, to train us and to challenge us, to correct us. But how dreadful, you know, that judgment will be if you have no Savior, if you don't know Christ, If God is purifying his own people and his own leaders, how severely, how how serious it is that this holy God is going to see you standing without a Savior if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. You see, there's none of us who could stand before a holy God on our own. There's nobody who is, is holy enough, pure enough, righteous enough, the Bible says that There's nobody righteous, not even one. There's not one of us. We're all covered in sin and shame. And yet God, in his great mercy for you and for me, has made a way for you to be reconciled to God. He sent his own son to live a perfect life for you and for me. He he kept the ways of God. All his motives were right. All his performance was perfect. None of us can do that. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I I came here not to be served. I, I came here to serve you by dying on the cross for you. The righteous dying for the unrighteous in order that we have a way to God through Jesus. And we know this is true because He did die on the cross. He did pay for sin, and he was crucified. He was put in a grave, and three days later, he was raised from the dead because of our justification, the Bible says, because God wanted us to know this is real. This is proof. He raised him from the dead, in part, so that you and I would know that he is a a worthy savior. and he's ascended into heaven. And one day he will judge, he will, we will stand before him, either, either without a savior or ourself as our savior or humbly acknowledging, you are my savior. You're the one that I believe in. You're the one I trust in. How about you? Have you ever humbled yourself and acknowledged, I do blow it. I blow it probably big time. Or you don't know how much I've blown it. Do you know that God knows all those things about you? He knows all the details of your motives and your, your thoughts, your actions. He knows all those things. And yet he offers to you the gift of eternal life through him. If you will humbly recognize your need for saviors. As many as received him to those he gives the right or the power to be called sons of God. Even to those who believe in his name. If you've not done that, today is your day. Today is a day of salvation. Humble yourself, put your hope in him, put your trust in him. He will, he, will, he will be faithful to answer and he will save you if you put your trust in him. And to us as believers, how can we live before a holy God, a loving God, a generous God, as if, as if it didn't make that big a difference for us? Our lives need to be transformed. So secondly, in application, would you pray for us pastors as we seek to faithfully live and serve under our chief shepherd? We, we know the standard of God is well above where we are, <laughs> but we want to serve you that way. We want to reflect the chief shepherd to you and we need your prayers. We'll take your critiques, but we need your prayers. And then, actually, there's a quote here I wanna to read to you, this calling to be a pastor is for those who are called. Um, Charles Spurgeon, speaking to his students said, "You know, somebody asked him, you know, how do you know if you're called to be a pastor or not? And he said this. He said, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. I, I would agree with that because the mantle that we are under, that we take on, it, it, it's, it's a God thing. I, I, I will not be able to do this without the grace of God. But I would say that there's other things in life that I think, I don't know how you guys do it either. I mean, people who are in the military, you know, fight, you know people who are uh, fire, firemen, firewomen, you know, police officers, teachers, you know. There's a grace of God on, on, on virtually all of us, moms and dads, you know, there's there's grace on you. you. know, Drivers and instructors, I don't know how you do it either, but, but you know. But in your heart, some of you have this yearning. And let's look at number three. Have you ever sensed a call to full-time ministry? Would you take a step in letting us know so that we can walk with you in your evaluation and training? You know, for some of us, we had this sense in our spirit, like, I think I'm supposed to serve God full-time someday. And we usually disqualify ourselves very quickly. We say, "But I know that I, have got to get this together in my life first, and you know, I know that I've got all these problems, and and we make and we have all these excuses. But there's this sense in the back of our mind, like I think God wants me to do ministry, you know, and and I would even broaden that. Maybe it's not a pastor, but it might be uh, you know women out there that you feel like God maybe has called you into ministry. And you have reasons why you think you're, you, you shouldn 't do that you can't you can 't do that, but there 's this longing there 's a sense, and i 'd say, like Spurgeon, look, if you could do something else, do it, but if you can 't do anything else i 'd like to I and the other pastors we 'd love to come alongside you and 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 help you explore that and help you nurture that and help you help you in those things and I would hope that you'd let us know that while it 's happening in your mind or soon, because I think like I said, you know we would walk with you through that process so i'd ask you to to really in in application this you've already heard like how hard it is how big the challenge is how glorious it is and the reward that god may be calling people to in the pastoral ministry but beyond even just pastoral ministry there's longings that you may have for some of you and i would want to affirm that missionaries you know people who should be in the mission field many young people Felt that call at a young age. So I want to ask you to consider that. And then let's look, as we consider that, let's look to God and say, Lord, take my life. Take my life and let it be whatever you want it to be.